Welcome to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. We want to encourage, equip, and connect those with a passion to impact the next generation for Jesus Christ. Student ministry can be a lonely place. You might even feel like you're the only one in your church or community that cares about students. Well, know this, you're not alone. People all across the country are engaging Gen Z and care deeply about the spiritual direction of these young men and women. Whether you're full-time, part-time, bivocational, or volunteer, if you have a heart for students, this is the place for you. Welcome to the podcast. My name is Dan Carson. I'm the director of Student Ministry Matters, and we're thrilled that you've chosen to download and listen as we continue the conversation about student ministry. Now, on today's podcast, we're going to be talking about this idea of connecting with God. In our last episode, we talked about connecting with the community. But before you do that, before you connect with anyone else, you need to make sure that you are connecting with God in that day-to-day relationship. With that in mind, I've invited my good friend Wade Allen to be with us on today's podcast. Thanks for being on the podcast with us, Wade. It's great to be here with you, Dan. Wade and I have known each other for some time. Uh, We've been friends since high school, went to college together at Central Baptist College. Dan, you forgot. Uh, We've been friends since high school, but we've known each other since junior high. (laughs) I was wondering if you're going to bring that up. (laughs) Yeah, I've known Wade a long time. Um, but we became friends in high school, so that's great. Um, we both went to Central Baptist College, and Central Baptist College is our podcast partner. Uh, we are thrilled about that relationship. They are a place that you want to check out for your students. They are engaging, inspiring, challenging, all those things that your students should be looking for. So let me encourage you to check out CBC at cbc.edu for your students or perhaps for yourself. If you're wanting to finish a degree, they have a PACE program that's designed with that in mind. Now, Wade has been serving um, in ministry for 31 years. Is that correct, Wade? That's correct. Well, he has been a lot of different things. He was a missionary to the Philippines for 12 years. He has served as the lead pastor at Temple Baptist Church in Rogers, Arkansas since 2014. I think you even had a short stint in youth ministry, didn't you? I did. Uh, I was the youth and music minister at Landmark Baptist Church in England for about a year. I feel like it's something that many of us in our age bracket kind of went through and and I just kind of stuck. I'm still doing it. So here I am. Well, I I was doing it while I was still at Central Baptist College. And so I think it just the demands of the job and the drive and school just were a bit overwhelming. And so uh, after that, I spent a little over three years working in children's ministry at Antioch Baptist Church in Conway. Um, and so I worked a lot with students in that way. What I love is that that variety of experience gives Wade some authority as we talk about these issues because he's been there. He's been the second guy. He's been on the mission field. Um, He's been in a lot of different situations. And simple truth is there's a great need to connect with God on a daily basis when you are trusting him for each and every step. Well, Wade, um, to let our audience get to know you a little bit better, why don't you tell us about your your salvation experience and then maybe your call to ministry? Sure. Um, you know, when I was a kid, we were always in church. We we never weren't in church Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and anything in between that might have been there. And so when it came to a place in my life when I was almost seven where I knew 
that I was a sinner. Um, it was a very simple thing for me to trust in Christ for my salvation. But as I continued to grow in, in my relationship with God, the fact of the matter was, is I wasn't really growing in that relationship. I was living a double life. And um, especially in junior high, that, that became problematic because my double life started to bleed over into one another. And I found it harder and harder to keep those two separated. And so in ninth grade, I made a decision to step away from those friends that uh, were not necessarily the, the best influences uh, for me and start hanging out with, with better people. Now, that didn't change what I was doing. I was still very much involved in, in student government and uh, playing football and basketball, uh, was part of the choir. Uh, but as I walked through those, those weeks and months of ninth grade, I, I noticed my friend group changing. Well, when I got into high school in 10th grade, I continued playing football, continued in choir, and uh, did quite well with the, the Springdale Bulldogs. And by my junior year, had earned a, a starting position uh, as the offensive tackle with the Bulldogs. And I just knew that God was really working in my heart. You know, he had been doing so for that previous year and a half, two years, and I was growing in him. And and what I came to the realization of uh, was that I loved football more than I loved God. And it was actually um, one week while my parents were out of town and Dan, uh, you were there with me and we were yeah. We were staying in my, my parents' house because they felt I needed a babysitter. So you were the man. Um, <laughs> you know, that extra year of experience made you mature enough to handle that, I guess. <laughs> but, you know, I made the decision at that point to walk away uh, from football. And, you know, my dad struggled to understand that. My coach struggled to understand that. Uh, for that matter, even the superintendent of schools contacted my parents saying, What's going on with Wade, you know? But I just knew I had to walk away. And so that was the week before our first game in 1989, yeah. which we ended up winning the state championship that year. Uh, but, you know, uh, I, did, I was part of the picture, but not part of the team. It was kind of sad. But a year later was when God made it absolutely infinitely clear that the reason uh, he called me away from football was to call me to something so much greater yeah. than high school glory. I surrendered my life to the ministry in July of 1990, and I have never regretted it for a moment. Having walked that story with you um, and having been there, it, it's just always so cool. I, I remember um, that, that night at church camp, and that's what part of that value of church camp is, is being away and, and being able to say, okay, God, I've put all these other distractions away. And so Wade and I are both big fans of church camp and what it can do yeah. and what it can be in your life. You know, what's funny, Dan, is I think that God, I knew God was calling me into the ministry well before that, but church camp was such a major part of my life. I wanted to surrender to the ministry at church camp. Yeah. <laughs> and so, um, that was, that was special. 
Well, Wade, um, you know, this is a podcast for the full-time, part-time, bivocational and volunteer student ministry worker. So who had an impact on your life in those student ministry years? Well, if you're referring to when I was a student, uh, right. there were there were a few people. First and foremost were Rick and Jody Priest. Yeah. And, um, you know, Rick and Jody were our volunteer youth leaders. Uh, they had a kid in the youth group that was a year older than you, two years older than me. And, and they just loved us. You know, we could, we, you know, they weren't the most eloquent or cool people I ever knew by any means, but they, there was never a doubt that they loved us and they opened their home to us and, um, just helped us to feel like a group. And I apparently did a great job of that because, uh, well over half of the group that was our youth group is now serving in full-time ministry. And, That's right. uh, so, you know, uh, God, God blessed, uh, the, their, their work also during that time was a gentleman named Warren Dugas. And Brother Warren was the director of the Association of Baptist Students at the University of Arkansas. And so my my Tuesday nights, my junior year and senior year in high school, when I, I didn't have football practice until late into the evening, every Tuesday night I would go to ABS. And uh, Brother Warren poured into me, and I, I will forever be grateful uh, for for that time together with those those. U of A students and Brother Warren leading us in Bible study and discussion groups. It, it was tremendous. Um, but those were those were the folks that influenced me probably the most when I was in high school. Well, let me back up. I've got to also say my mom. Yeah. You know? Yeah, you do. <laughs> um, because we would sit sit around a dining table uh, until, until the wee hours of the morning talking about biblical things and theology and and it was it was not a formal discipleship pathway by any means but um, my mom poured into me in tremendous ways as far as bible knowledge and and theology was concerned I'm so glad you mentioned her. We know that there's a great deal of value in that parent-child relationship and the the need for family ministry to be happening and your family was such a great example of that. The people that influenced me were the same people that were influencing Wade, but I, and I would include his mom. Um, she was one of our teachers and just a, a powerful voice for Christ in my life. And so it was yeah. just a... And, and she fed you well. She did feed me. Yeah. Maybe too well at times. Probably, yeah. <laughs> I remember my first meal at the Allen House. We had rainbow trout. Well, again, we're talking about this idea of connecting with God. For those of us in student ministry or pastoral ministry of another vein, it is vital that we spend time connecting with God if we hope to speak to people, to minister to them, to love on them. Um, But too often we put that aside. And so I just want to get us talking today. Wade, let me ask you this question to get us started. What are some of the dangers for us if we don't stay connected to God as we seek to do ministry? First and foremost, the greatest danger is uh, dependence upon my own ability rather than the dependence Mm. upon the power of God and His Holy Spirit at work in me and through me. 
And, you know, as you pointed out, I've done a lot of different things, whether that's been youth ministry, uh, music ministry, children's ministry. I didn't even mention, you know, I I taught in a Christian school and was a coach uh, for several years. Uh, I served as a pastor in a small church. I served as a missionary church planter, church planter trainer, Bible college professor, you know, a curriculum development coordinator for publications ministry. I mean, that that's a lot of varied uh, things yeah. going on. Yeah. And so many times I found that I was so busy that my time alone with God would get pushed to the side and all of whatever it was that I was doing at that moment, I was doing in my own power. That's not what God wants for us. God yeah. wants us yeah. to be dependent upon him. And so I think that God allowed me to go through things that were probably more difficult than what they should have been or could, you know, ought to have been simply because he was trying to get me to depend upon him instead of depending upon myself. Well, what do you feel is the key to staying connected with God in ministry? Routine. Routine. Oh, okay. Because it, I mean, I don't, I don't want to make it sound too simplistic, but if you do something every day, no matter what the situation is, and it becomes you know, a holy habit, uh, that is something that as you do it more and more, you crave it more and more, and yeah. it grows. And so if you don't have that routine, then it becomes a nuisance or an obligation. When, it, when it's a nuisance or an obligation, you're, you're just ticking off a, a checklist and, and you're not allowing the spirit to, to work in your heart. You're not looking for transformation. Uh, you're just just doing that. You're, you're doing the obligatory Christian thing of reading your Bible and praying every day. And uh, you know what what God wants is for us to truly commune with him. So yeah, I think routine, Now, having said that, as far as a routine is concerned, it can become routine and mundane, and it's always got to stay fresh. But if you don't have a time set up to make it happen, then it's just not going to. You know, one of the things that I hear you saying is just this idea of being intentional, intentionally having a routine that's going to allow for that to happen, that connection with God. Yeah, and too many th- times, guys that are in the secondary role, we're very task-oriented. There's a lot happening, a lot of things that have to be accomplished. And so it's easy to push push it to the side unless you establish that routine. Yeah, well, having known me for uh, three-plus decades, wow, it's approaching four decades now. I know, here. right? <laughs> but um, having known me for so long, uh, you know I'm a task-oriented person. Yeah. To set aside a minimum of 30 minutes to an hour and upwards to multiple hours in the day of just spending time alone with God, studying his word, asking him, what what are you trying to say to me through this? And my studies be uh, something that I am not planning to preach or teach, just studying God's word to hear from him. Um, Hmm. As a task-oriented person, that is a challenge to me. But as I've done it more and more and 
allotted that time more and more, it's gotten to the place where it's not a challenge anymore, but rather it is something I crave. And if I don't have it, my attitude, it it is visible in my attitude and my actions throughout the day. There was something that we've talked about recently, this idea of, well, that approach, taking 30 minutes, an hour, just setting it aside for a study that isn't necessarily for that thing coming up, whether it's your prep for your, your message or for your youth event or for whatever it is, it's almost I don't want to say anti-American, but it is counter-cultural. You know, I thank God that I'm kind of strange when it comes to culture. Yeah. Because having lived overseas in a shame-based culture in the Philippines, a culture that is event-oriented, not time-oriented, it is a totally different type of culture than what what we have here in the United States. And so you know, you can't live in that kind of situation for 12 years and not come out changed. And so I know that my worldview is different than than most people here, but I think that there are things that they value that we ought to value more. And one of those is the event of spending time with God uh, should not be on a clock. Whatever Mm. amount of time it needs to take for God to speak to your heart that day, that's the amount of time you need to spend. And, you know, for that reason, I try to not schedule very much in the mornings uh, so that I have the liberty to get up between six and seven in the morning and spend anywhere from one hour to as many as four or five hours just studying and seeing what God has for me that day. And then, you know, afternoon and into the evening is all ministry-related stuff and pastoral ministry, uh, studying for for teaching or writing curriculum for our our church's uh, daily discipline stuff that we do here. All of that stuff gets done in the afternoons and evenings. but the mornings I, I give to God, however much time that it needs to be. And it is an adjustment to your schedule. Uh, you know, we, we as pastors, well, if we're doing our job right, we ought to be working 50 to 55 hours on a slow week, you know? Right. And right. so that is an adjustment uh, to allow that kind of time. But um, it's an adjustment that has just been a tremendous blessing in my life. And I hope I never have to go back to something else. Let me ask this question because part of our listeners being part-time or bivocational. I was just thinking about yeah. this. Yeah. Yeah. So how do, how do they navigate those type of things? What might you recommend with that in mind? First of all, uh, I am not the expert in this area. Sure. I, so what I would say is I would recommend that they find somebody who is a godly person that has been serving in that same type of role as a volunteer or as a bivocational um, minister and ask them, Mm. you know, say, you know, as I look at you, as I look at your life, I see a level of spiritual maturity that I want to experience. Can you tell me, what it is you do to make that happen. 
Um, and so I would say that would be that would be your first uh, step uh, is finding somebody. Well, even Paul, think about it. Paul said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Yeah. And yeah. I've always thought, wow, the audacity of that. But the fact is, is that tr- when you're truly discipling someone, you need to offer your disciple a model to follow. Mm. And so we we need to find those people that we can imitate who are imitating Christ. That's a great word, Wade. I, I've wondered what advice to give to those that are in that situation because there's only so many hours in a day and so many exactly. in a week. And, and you know, they're they're most likely parents uh, dealing with their own children yeah. and all the activities that they have, and uh, they're working a full time job plus trying to to do this ministry uh, and give their whole heart to these other students that are probably not their own. Um, it, it's, it's a crazy cycle that you can get in on, which is all the more reason where you need to have that hour a day, you know, of yeah. alone time and do not disturb time with God. And, you know, add to that, you need a place to do it. I cannot do my quiet personal Bible study sitting here at my desk in my office. Uh, because there are too many things crying out for my attention here. I've got to get some place that is completely alone, that does not have those distractions. And I, I have a place like that at my house. My wife has two. When the weather's nice, she goes to the back porch. <laughs> uh, and when the weather's not so nice, there is a, a wicker chair in our living room that uh, belonged to her best friend, Darlene. And mm. she sits in that wicker chair and that's where she spends time alone, studying the word, uh, worshiping and praying. And, and so I think that place is also very important. Mm, that's good. I, I think about my friend, Glenn Richards, he passed away the summer of 2020 or just a freak accident, um, a dad to one of three of my students. And, um, he would tell me, what he would do to to be able to to read for our faithful men group and discipleship studies here, he during his lunch break he would go out to his car, shut everything off, and he would spend that thirty to forty five minutes just there alone. So he had a place, um, but it's it takes that time. It's it's a commitment. It's back to what you talked about initially, which was being intentional and having a routine. It's so valuable. Absolutely. Well, several years ago, um, you introduced me to a Bible study method that has really impacted me and my ministry called the SOAP method. Now, I know there are others who have talked about it before. Um, what What is that method, and who introduced it to you? Well, um, yeah, I mentioned my, my wife's best friend, Darlene. Uh, most of your listeners are probably familiar with who Darlene Carey was. And she was a missionary that worked with us in the Philippines for, for several years. And then she went on to, to work in a university in a creative access nation uh, and work to continue discipling people. Well, uh, Darlene is really, Darlene was a part of our family. Uh, she was with us for many, many vacations and she would come and stay at our house, uh, 
anytime she had the time off. And, and so she was a part of our family. And anytime we got together, Darlene would take the lead. And I think it's because she was way older than us. And so I'm going to let it be that way. Uh, Darlene would have been 60 years old this, this month. And, um, but you know, God took her to heaven before she could get old and, uh, decrepit. So Darlene, uh, would always have something that we're going to talk about or a passage of scripture. She says, Hey, let's read this and, and talk about its implications. And, so at one point in time, I don't know, probably 15 years ago or so, uh, she started telling us about this SOAP method, which SOAP stands for Scripture, Observation, Application, and Prayer. Um, but she added an extra letter T for something, and I don't even remember what it was for, but you know, <laughs> Darlene had to put her spin on it. So anyway, she introduced that to me. And I, so I said, oh, I like that. I think I'll start doing that. And so I got a, a journal, which I've never been one to journal. I've, I've always hated to journal, but I've always been told that for true spiritual breakthrough, you need to be journaling. I'm like, I don't want to write down my thoughts. I don't want to, you know, have this sappy thing about, I, I just didn't like it. And so when I started soaping, it gave me something of purpose to write hmm. in a yeah. journal and it gave me opportunity to do what I love, which is understanding and applying the Bible. And it gave me that avenue to be able to do it for myself personally. And so it, it was really powerful. But one of the things that I did, I, I couldn't sustain it because I could not finish a journal entry in a single day uh, because I would take, well, I, I know the, the very first time I, I ever did uh, soap journaling, I was uh, doing Hosea, uh, uh, going through the book of Hosea, and which is a, a phenomenal book if you've not studied it, studied it. But I was going through Hosea, and so I would read a chapter, and then I started making observations out of every verse of that chapter. And my my list of observations would become two or three pages worth of information in this journal. And then I'm saying, okay, well, how do I apply that to my life? And, and so it would take me four to five days to finish a, a journal entry because I was writing so much information. I just, I couldn't sustain it. It, it, it did. It wasn't a simple enough routine to, to impact my life, I, I guess is the point. Well, a couple of years later, we were back together with Darlene at another beach resort in the Philippines, sitting in hammocks under the palm trees. Have I painted that picture well enough? It, yeah. it was a blessing. <laughs> but as we sat there and, and we were talking about it, uh, she pointed out to me, she said, no, don't, don't try to make observations and application for everything in the, in the chapter, but ask God to show you that one thing that he wants you to see so that you can apply that to your life today, because you might actually be able to obey one thing. Mm. And so I, I changed the way I was doing it. And I, I discovered the verse in Psalm 119 that says, open my eyes that I may see wonderful things in your law. And so that, that verse became my daily prayer. Every time I sat down to, to, uh, read God's word, I would ask him, 
Lord, open my eyes so that I might see the wonderful things that you have for me today. And Lord, give me an obedient heart that I will do what you ask of me. And so uh, that totally transformed my, my soaping. As I was reading, he would highlight something in my mind and I would write down that word or that phrase or that verse uh, in my journal and then start making observations about the text and the context and then make some simple applications, two to three things that I will do because of what God has told me uh, through his word. And then I write a prayer asking for God's help uh, with the things that I feel like I'm going to struggle with in order to try to apply those truths. And when I started doing that, it became a single page in my journal entry. It became something that I was able to continually do and sustain where I would do anywhere from uh, four to even up to seven soap journals in a week's time. And uh, that, that was not only transformative in my life, uh, it was a lifesaver through some of the most difficult and dark moments to see how God spoke to me in some very special ways that had I not had a tool to hear his voice, I'm afraid that I might not have heard him the way I needed to in those mm. moments. Yeah. And quite frankly, I would probably not still be serving him in ministry had I not had those moments alone together with him and his word. You know, I, I just love the simplicity of this. It's not complicated. It really isn't. And to be honest, God's word isn't really that complicated. We make it much harder than it is. But just simply to ask God, okay, what do I need to learn today? What's that one thing today? And maybe if I listen to that one thing, that I'll obey that one thing. Um, one of my favorite aspects of this is just that idea that when I am in those journaling mode, I'm looking for that one thing God wants to say to me today. And then, so it makes me excited about even the next time I can do it because then it's like, okay, well, God show me this. It's going to show me something completely different or is it going to build? And there've been times where he has built and built and built on these things. And I look back over the course of a couple of weeks and I'm like, Oh my goodness. God, you're really trying to tell me something and I really need to listen. Yeah. And that's one of the things I love about doing a prayer retreat. Mm, um, yeah. When I go on a prayer retreat, I, I spend a lot of time in advance asking God, you know, what is it? What passage of scripture do you want me to focus my attention on during this time? And so I will, um, you know, based on the impressions I feel in my, in my heart from the Lord, I will spend time focusing on a, a, a passage and it may be shorter, it may be medium long, whatever, but I will soap journal through that and I will have all of these entries. Usually when I'm on a prayer retreat, I'll at least do two soap journals a day, sometimes three, do morning, afternoon, right. evening. But as I get these uh, points of application that God's trying to, to speak into my heart, one of the things that I'll do before I go home is then I will take all of those soap journals and say, okay, God, this is what you spoke to me on this day and this day and this day. 
what's the big picture? And I will write out one journal entry of application for the whole, the, mm. the, the totality of yeah. that time together. And, you know, this is what God spoke to me this week. And, um, you know, having that on paper uh, that you can go back, you know, I actually pulled out some of my old soap journals, you know, uh, and, you know, you can see these, Dan, but I can go back to 2014 or 2017 and see what God was doing in my heart and in my life and the lessons that I learned at that time. It's just a powerful thing. Like I said, one of the things that I love about this is its simplicity. So what what physical things do you need when you start that process? Like if somebody says, well, I want to soap, so how, how do they do that? What, what sort of things do they need? You need a good writing instrument. Okay. Um, <laughs> get one that you like. Uh, that's comfortable because your hand's going to cramp up if you, if you, especially on the prayer retreat where you're writing so much. No, I mean, it's really simple. You need a Bible. Uh, I encourage you to have a good study Bible um, that you soap from, but you know, you need a Bible, you need uh, some sort of journal uh, that could be as simple as one of those composition notebooks that are 50 cents or a dollar at Walmart, depending on what time of year you buy them. Yeah. Um, or, you know, we live up here close to the day spring store in Siloam Springs, Arkansas. And so I go to their outlet store or their annual uh, big sale. And I, I get these beautiful leather bound journals for, you know, $3, $5 a piece. And I stock up. So I've, I've got uh, quite a few of those. And so that's what I like to use, but that's all you need is a pen, a Bible and something to write on. And that, that is the beauty of it. The simplicity of it. Um, I will say this though, soap journaling is not something that just anybody can do. Soap journaling is something that requires number one, a salvation experience yeah, with the Holy Spirit dwelling in you. And so if somebody is trying to soap journal and they say, God, God never speaks to my heart. Um, I would question then, um, well, is the Holy Spirit of God living in you? And I mean, that's a hard conversation to have with somebody, but it, it's a conversation it's a that needs, one, yeah. needs yeah. to happen. But there also are some inherent dangers to soap journaling. And I thought I'd, I'd take this moment to address that because, you know, the simple fact is, is that not everyone knows how to understand and apply the Bible properly, uh, which is obvious by a lot of people throughout our world today that call themselves pastors and, you know, professional religious teachers that are misinterpreting scripture. And so the danger of misinterpretation is real. And so not necessarily something you need on a daily basis, but something you need before starting this process is you need a good hermeneutic. And, you know, when I say that, what I'm saying is you need to understand the principles, the science behind, the art form behind understanding and and applying the Bible. Uh, and if you do not have those simple Bible study skills of asking the question, what does the text say? 
what does the text mean? And then what does it mean to me? If you, if you don't have those concepts in your mind, then you're not going to apply the scripture properly. So, you know, for us here at Temple and, you know, as I was a church planter and trained church planters in the Philippines, a discipleship pathway is so very important that as a person comes to know Christ, that they are taught certain things. You know, uh, I believe it, it's got to start with assurance of life in Christ. They, they need to know that they uh, can know for certain that they are uh, saved. Um, and then you need to teach them about living th- their lives by faith. You need to teach them about prayer and how they need to communicate with God. You need to teach them about the Bible and how God communicates with us. And then we've got to teach that simple process of the inductive style Bible study uh, method, which is observation, interpretation, and application. What does it say? What does it mean? What does it mean to me? If you don't have those simple skills, then you cannot do a soap journal and trust that this is the Holy Spirit of God speaking through his word. Mm, That's good, Wade. That's so good. Well, um, you know, one of the things that just a simple fact that you mentioned was having a study Bible a Bible that has some good notes in it, some understanding of the context when books of the Bible are written and things like that. Uh, that's a, of a great value. Well, um, if I'm starting the process of soaping, let's say we've got somebody, one of our listeners says, that sounds great. Where do I start? What would be a good place for them to start in? I would start in a teaching passage rather than in a narrative passage. And the reason I would say that is there's a lot of things recorded in Scripture that are narratives or another way of saying that, you know, stories in the Bible that the main characters characters of the story may or may not be giving us an example to follow. Mm. Yes, right. And so, uh, you know, there is some tremendous value. I mean, one of the most profound Uh, soap journaling experiences that I've ever uh, had in my life that was more transformative than maybe any other was when I was soaping through the life of David in 1st and 2nd Samuel. But that's not where I would say you need to start. Start with your favorite book in the New Testament, you know, whether that's uh, Ephesians or James or the gospel of Mark or, you know, whatever, you know, uh, start somewhere where there is primarily teaching passages and you find those, you know, in the epistles more than anything. If you're looking at one of the gospels, you know, most of the stories are about Jesus. So we can, you know, trust that we can follow his example. Uh, but you know, I, I would say that would be the place to start. We've spent a, a great deal of time talking about um, reading the Word and prayer, that this soaping method. Um, and so we both believe that it is a fantastic way to connect with God. Uh, but there are, of course, other ways that are a part of our lives. And so, Wade, what are some other ways that you feel connected to God? Community. Ah, okay. 
And community, I think it's important for us that we realize community needs to be a verb. It needs to be something that is experienced. Yes, community refers to the people that you live around. Community refers to the church members that you attend worship together with. But when you're experiencing community, you are being transparent, authentic within a a small group of people that are then going to hold you accountable and Mm -hmm. encourage you when you're down. God did not create us to be a people who live in isolation. God created us for one another. And you know what? You asked the question a few minutes ago about where's a good place to start. Um, If you want a good place to start, why don't you find every place in the New Testament that has the phrase one another and so through that. And you will you will develop your own discipleship pathway just through how we are to interact with one another. And so um, there there's so much value in in spending that time together. And so that that is and let me say this, because the majority of the people who are going to be listening to this are leaders in the church, whether that's volunteer or paid, whatever they're leaders in the church. And when you're a leader in the church, you struggle to find those opportunities to be authentic and transparent because you're the leader. You you have to maintain uh, some level of, I don't know how to say it exactly, but you can't bear your soul to people you're trying to lead when you're struggling with an issue. But you've got to bear your soul to somebody. And so you've got to find those opportunities to spend time um, with other people that you can be transparent and authentic with. And so, you know, that what that translates into in my life personally is once a week, me, you and two other guys get together and we talk about what we've been soaping about. Um, every other week I'm getting together with a group of pastors from other churches, uh, here in Northwest Arkansas. And we, we talk about things that we're dealing with also on an every other week basis. I'm joining in on a pastor zoom call, uh, with BMA pastors from around the nation that is hosted by Larry Barker and, uh, the BMA church health solutions, uh, department and, you know, having that opportunity to, to spend time with them. Those are ways that I have the opportunity to be open and honest and transparent and authentic. And I can still be healthy, uh, for my church. Let me add that when you work with students, you need connection, you need community to be able to, to maneuver some things. You, you need to be involved in, in a small group with other adults and not just your students because too often we can find ourselves separated. Um, and over here, we're always with the students. There are people in your church may wonder if you even attend because you are with those students. Uh, my wife has been asked that question before. said, where have you been? Well, on Sunday nights, I was with the students. On Wednesday night, I was with the students. And I was teaching and leading children's church on a Sunday morning. So <laughs> uh, it's just vital that we get connected yeah, with others. 
And that's one of the things that, you know, I've got a, a small staff here at our church, but that's one of the things that I've always said is you may lead a small group or teach a Sunday school class, but there's got to be at least one point in time in every week that you are just being poured into, not being the one pouring. Mm, that's and good. so that that's just a policy for us. And, you know, it, it's, it's so vital. But, you know, let me add one other thing, Dad. Sure. Uh, you know, you talked about always being with the students, being open and transparent with your students is vital, but there's got to be some wisdom and discernment between being open and transparent and giving more details about your struggles than what an adolescent mind needs to hear. And so that's why it's so important to have those other people there to that you can say to them you know i i haven't wanted to read my bible all week long this week <laughs> well that's not something that you tell a student um because what you're doing inadvertently of course but what you're doing is giving them permission to say well i didn't want to read my bible this week so i didn't you yeah. know and so you've got to have that outlet the idea of connecting with god is vital in student ministry and really every aspect of ministry. If we put it off, there's nothing for us to teach from. You know, always teach out of the overflow is what I've heard over the years, and I completely agree with it. The times when I have been the least effective in ministry is those times when I've just been walking through the duties that I've been responsible for. And so I just want to say thank you, Wade, for being on the podcast with us. It's been a pleasure. Thanks, man. Um, And I want to thank you, listeners, uh, for joining us as we continue to talk about student ministry and ways that we can make it better. And so we understand this idea today that connecting with God is vital. And we do this because student ministry matters. Thanks for listening to the Student Ministry Matters podcast. Get connected at studentministrymatters.com or follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Student Ministry Matters. Until next time, keep up the great work with your students because the work matters.